Welcome to the favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. It's Thursday. That means it's time to enter the Thursday Thunderdome. On today's show, our special guests will compete alongside my co-host, my BFF, my companion, professional sports better Simon Hunter, who was out with a lot of us on Tuesday night and survived. He is in an epic test of wagers and wits that's quickly made this show the best invention for summertime gamblers since the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Oh, Simon, we gave each other a really big hug on Tuesday night. I would say I got to this bar around 730. I think you got there at eight. I had a date beforehand, so I wasn't really feeling it. And then you came into the bar and you gave me a hug and you wouldn't let go. And I go, wow, Chad must be feeling pretty, pretty good right now. So had a, had a couple of drinks with Stucky. Heard a lot of stories from Stucky. Didn't get fired. I got out of there. I knew when to leave. So I, I got just to the point of drunkness where I was like, I made some joke and it might've been Amanda or maybe it was Christina gave me this look. And I was just like, okay, it's, it's time for me <laughs> to get out of here. So it was a, uh, it was a good night, man. It was fun to be in New York city. You've learned so much about being a good corporate citizen since you joined the Action Network full-time. We're all really proud of you, Simon. I should mention, uh, I'm still in New York. I'm recording this podcast from my hotel room in New York. So if I sound somewhat different, that is why. Simon, your first challenger is an ESPN analyst, co-host of the Pull Up Podcast with CJ McCollum, recently appeared on our game show, What's the Line?, where he destroyed Darren Ravel. It's NBA analyst extraordinaire, Jordan Schultz. What's going on, man? Hey, hey, fellas. I'm doing great. That was a fun night with Darren. I don't know if he was embarrassed. He was definitely destroyed, though. It was fun. It's impossible to embarrass Ravel. You can mention or ask him to do something that no one else in the world would consider, and he'd be like, oh, my God, this is terrible. I got to do it. So yeah, I got that. Yeah. Zero, was- zero humility. It's great uh, to be on with you. Thanks for having me. We're, gl- we're glad you're here. Jordan, uh, the other competitor today, way back in 2018, on this very program, I referred to this editor as the straw that stirs the action network. I still believe it all these years later. He's an avid darts better, one of Long Island's very finest, a man whose love for the advancing Islanders is only surpassed by his love for misery, it's Michael Leboff. I want you to say hello to people, but I want people to know that you spent the night at the Coliseum. And by spent the night, I mean maybe from before the game started until just this very second. Leboff, how are you? I'm, I'm wonderful. I'm, oh I'm doing great. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to get through this podcast with Leboff sounding like he had to scrape his voice off the ice of you, the Nassau Coliseum. If, if you spent your night screaming horrible things at Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy last night, you would be you would sound the same. And I and I offered you that opportunity like 15 times to come to the Coliseum, and you're you're afraid to go. It's not an invite unless you say, "Here's my ticket. Here's the time. Meet me at this place." That's that's how I live in the invite world. You're a like a 30 year sports media executive. You can get your own ticket, and we'll just go before we'll meet up before the game, right? What is the meanest thing you said to Bruce Cassidy last night? Oh my god, I don't want to say it. You know, we just talked about being good corporate citizens. 
That's true. Well, clearly it works because the Islanders are advancing. We we got to scream at him coming off the ice because obviously they do the handshakes at the end of every series. And, you know, the Coliseum, you're just like right on top of everybody. And the whole arena stuck around for that. And he's walking off basically by himself. All the players had basically shuffled in and he's just, he was just hearing it. It was, he was an idiot. Like, why would you, why would you poke, poke 12,000 Long Islanders hopped up on tall boys of Natty Light? Like what, what an idiot. So there's nothing good. He he got what was coming. Yeah. Either of those things. Here's how the game is played. Today, you'll answer two kinds of questions. First, traditional trivia questions about sports, sports betting, and the world at large. Second, completely subjective and totally asinine, open-ended questions or prompts that I alone will judge. I will probably root for Simon. To accumulate points, you must answer the trivia questions correctly and also convince me that your responses to those open-ended prompts are better than the responses from your opponents. Let's play the game, folks. Part one, the pen is mightier. Last week, former quarterback Johnny Manziel revealed he pocketed over $30,000 selling autographs in college. The demand for celebrity autographs dates back nearly as far as the pen itself. So I'll ask each of you an autograph-themed question. Simon, one of the rarest athlete autographs of all time is from this baseball player who grew up illiterate following a childhood of labor in South Carolina textile mills. As an adult, his wife signed most things on his behalf, so fewer than two dozen authentic autographs are known to exist. Oh, this is a crazy story. I didn't even know this. Today, he's perhaps most famous for his permanent ban for baseball following his alleged but never confirmed involvement in the 1919 Black Sox scandal. Despite stellar play, throughout that crooked world series who is the player we are referring to i have no idea but i want to update your thing about athlete signatures the oldest signature is actually gladiators people in rome used to get signatures from gladiators so just a quick update they've been around for about uh, i think two thousand years now signatures for athletes so it's pretty insane well that is fantastic but again i don't think you answered the question joe dimaggio so close, shoeless Joe Jackson. <laughs> he got the first name right. Uh, Leboff, the autographs of American presidents have been popular for centuries. The two rarest presidential autographs belong to William Henry Harrison, who died of pneumonia 30 days after his inauguration, and this president, who was shot four months into his presidency in 1881 and died two months later. The idealistic James Garfield. Wow. That is incredible that you got that right. In your condition, to get that right and come in with with an adjective, by the way, makes total sense that James Garfield would be your favorite president. Jordan, (laughs) in the late 1990s, the FBI executed a successful sting on a counterfeit sports memorabilia ring in Chicago in an effort codenamed Operation Foul Ball. The success of Operation Foul Ball led the FBI to execute a subsequent nationwide undercover operation that seized millions of dollars worth of phony autographed merchandise, including a baseball featuring a fake autograph from Mother Teresa. Based on its origins in Operation Foulball, the FBI operation was given this code name after the most famous warm-up area in sports. So this was Operation... Bullpen. That is... Correct. Wow, yeah, I was thinking batter box. That was that was tough. 
Uh, Simon, you would have been wrong in everything. You're getting killed already. <laughs> I'm drunk, Chad. You might still be drunk from Tuesday. Here's the prompt. This is Simon, where you normally make up your time. If you could acquire any piece of memorabilia and make any living athlete sign it, what would you choose and who would sign it? For example, I'd like to own the card Roger Goodell read from to announce the second pick in the 2017 NFL draft signed by Mitchell Trubisky. Simon, please give me your answer. I mean, so many ways to go. Um, but as an, I guess as a Philadelphia sports fan, my happiest experience of my life was the Eagles Super Bowl. So I thought of something kind of messed up, but it pulls it all together. I would get the cast from Carson Wentz's ACL tear, and I'd have Nick Foles sign it. Oh, my God. That is such a good idea. It's serendipity. It's just like all these things happen because of that injury. So it's, it's one of those. I feel like it's two things that would mean a lot to me is Nick Foles' signature and that Carson Wentz injury. I so love that answer. Leboff, it's going to be tough to top that answer. Yeah, that's a good one. And my, I know you guys know my love for the Islanders. And so this is niche niche for, for probably most of the listeners. But when, when John Tavares left the Islanders, he took a, a picture and, and posted it on Twitter of him in his pajamas. He didn't say anything about like, oh, I had a great time on Long Island yet. The first thing he did was just, just tweeted a picture of himself in his maple leaves bed sheets and pajamas and said like it's not every day you don't you get to live out a childhood dream since then John Tavares has won exactly zero playoff series and the Islanders are going to the conference finals for the second year in a row so I would like to get that that picture in, in its original frame and I would love to get it signed by all the New York Islanders and then mail it to him wow that wraps up fandom and bitterness and is the greatest Leboff answer. I love the direction these are going. There is so much rage in this fandom. Jordan, are you full of rage today? Not quite, but in, so mine, mine goes uh, also a little niche. In 1995, growing up in Seattle, and I was a massive Mariner fan, and Ken Griffey Jr. was God. I was at the game when he broke his wrist against the Rangers. You know, he had that famous Spider-Man catch against center field wall. I was at that game, and I, I want to say that happened in the seventh inning. In the fourth inning, he caught the third out and tossed me a ball. And when he broke his wrist, the next day in the Seattle Times, I was a really young kid. There's like a picture of me in the background, like hysterical. Like I'm crying or I'm really scared. And, you know, Ken Griffey's hobbling off the field. So what I would want being at that game is for him to sign that glove that he broke the wrist in. Because that was probably, to me, it's the greatest catch I've ever seen, at least in person. In Seattle, he was everything. He really was. Obviously, you guys remember the video game. Slug I was going to say N64. That was the game changer. Yeah. You can imagine in Seattle, we played. Well, originally it was for Super Nintendo. Right, right, N64 right. N64 took it to another level. We used to play that game for hours. And the, and the, and the caveat was nobody was allowed to be the Mariners. Yeah. Because they had the Griffey had like his swing zone was like this big. So, anyways, I, I miss uh, I miss those days. Well, listen, that's a really sad story. It's even sadder because you're not going to win. Leboff, I have to give it to you because a you can barely speak. B because I know your hatred for John Tavares goes runs so deep. We've talked about it for years, and the fact that you can tie it to the, the Islanders. Moving on. In the playoffs last night, I feel like you win that round. So congratulations. We will move on to part two. Uh, part two, ejectionable material. As Major League Baseball's 
All-Star Game approaches next month. We'd like to take a moment to appreciate one of the most beautiful spectacles in American sports, the ejection of a baseball manager. A tear comes to my eye. Whenever I see a pristine baseball diamond and I see an old man wearing a full baseball uniform, screaming himself hoarse at another man wearing a blazer. In honor of this time-honored tradition of workplace rage, I'll ask each of you one question about baseball manager ejections. Jordan, this will be right up your alley. A long time, uh, Jordan, longtime manager Lou Pinella is on the Mount Rushmore of ejections. One of his signature episodes came in 1990 when he became so enraged during a shouting match with an umpire that he threw this object a full 35 feet. The distance was so impressive that a newspaper held a fan contest to see if anyone could match his distance. What did he throw? A base. It was first base, but I'm going to give base. you I'm going to give you full credit because you he said took it, it off. He took it off. He did take it off. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Simon, arguably the most unique and celebrated ejection in Major League history came exactly 22 years ago yesterday when this National League manager was ejected in extra innings only to return to the dugout a short time later wearing glasses and a fake mustache. This guy is, in my opinion, one of the creepiest people to ever grace the sport of baseball. Is it Bobby Valentino, whatever his name is? Bobby V. Bobby Valentine. You win for the calling him creepy. You're spot on and you know who he is, clearly. Leboff, the record for most ejections belongs to this longtime Braves manager who was tossed out of 161 games, one game shy of a full major league season. I know the answer, I think. It's Bobby Cox. And speaking of Bobby Valentine, he's the, uh, the athletic director at my alma mater now. And I sat on a panel with him once and I got to disagree. I, I went in with that in my head. I was like, this guy's a weirdo. I don't really like him. And he's sitting next to me and he couldn't have been more of a sweetheart, um, Simon. So that's how he gets the, that's how he gets you in. Maybe he was playing the long game, but I, I, I didn't join my time with him. All right. Part two prompt. Here we go. Imagine you are a furious major league baseball manager. You are about to be ejected for arguing with an umpire. If your goal was to create the most memorable on-field ejection of all time, what would you do? Leboff, what would you do? Uh, I'd probably moon the umpire. You'd moon the umpire. You've done so well in this game so far, and that is a terrible answer. So I went back to Lloyd McClendon. He had a great one back with the Pirates. I'd like to mirror that. Basically, I want to take it a step further. I want to take Pinellas a step further. I want to take off first base. But now I don't want to throw it. I want to run around the stadium with it and then throw it into the stands. I got to say that's funny. And I can see, I thought you were going to say, I want to run around the bases with it. And when you get Yeah, home, well, like, maybe I'll do that. I'll run around the bases and then I'll run the outfield and throw it into the stands so the game is screwed up. I think that's a great answer. Thank you're making you. a comeback here. You're definitely better than Leboff on this one. Simon, let's see what you got. Again, this is fictional. Uh, it made me think of the office when Andy, he was trying to quit his job and get fired and he could not get fired and he couldn't, he just couldn't leave. So he took a dump on his boss's car and that's what I would go. I would just go right out to the home plate and I would just drop trial and take a dump in the middle of the field. That's terrible. Exactly. It's disgusting to even visualize that at least with Jordan's he's having a little bit of fun. He's getting the fans involved. He's going for broke. Like he knows he knows he's going to be thrown out. He's just deciding basically to do a victory lap because he's doing it on behalf yeah. of the team. Like, 
this is Jordan. No brainer. Simon. We're, I'm talking most memorable ejection of all time, Chad. I'm taking a dump in the, on a field of baseball, bro. You're just I'm, too classy. You're, you're too classy. I'm tempted to take away a point because I hate that answer so much. <laughs> all right, but here we go. Here's the score right now. Leboff, you have three because of your James Garfield fandom. Jordan, you have three because of your genius for how you would get ejected from a game. Simon, you have one, and I'm not even that sad about it because now I'm just disgusted. Part three, <laughs> let's travel back in time. Last week, LeBron James and the LA Lakers were bounced from the NBA playoffs in the first round. And many are considering this to be his most disappointing finish since he was 21 years old and his Cavaliers team missed the 2005 playoffs. Even back in 2005, I was already a successful and accomplished member of the sports media elite. Our guest, Jordan Schultz, would soon be on his way to Occidental College and I assume our own Simon Hunter was just your typical perverted 15-year-old who thought about taking dumps in center field. But in honor of LeBron's dubious distinction, I will now ask you each one pop culture question and one sports question about 2005. Oh, this is good. Jordan, in the spring of 2005, following an NCAA title at UConn and a great rookie season for the Charlotte Bobcats, this player won NBA. I'm at Boom. Very nicely done. Remember, Jordan. Dwight Howard went one, and there was, there was some thought that Emeka should have gone one. I remember that. I remember that well. Yeah. In 2005, this Finnish telecom company was the leading manufacturer of cell phones. They also sponsored college football's Sugar Bowl from 1996 to Nokia. 2000. Nice. Jordan, A game. Leboff, back in 2005, Nike sold more than 50 million units of this ubiquitous yellow fashion accessory. A few years later, this inspirational figure behind this item <laughs> suffered a humiliating fall from grace and was stripped of all his primary athlete accomplishments. Lipstrong bracelet. <laughs> well done, Mike Leboff. Here's your second question. Thanks. In 2005, LeBron couldn't tweet about how missing the playoffs felt. Twitter wasn't invented until the following year. And even if he'd wanted to, this exciting new social media platform was also unavailable because he didn't have a college email address. Facebook. Facebook. Wow. Our contestants today, except for Simon, are really good. Simon, for the 2005 NFL season, this imposing AFC North quarterback one rookie of the year. Big Ben, Roethlisberger. Big Ben, you got it, buddy. Here we go. I know you love rap and hip-hop. Simon, in the spring of 2005, Candy Shop was the number one song in America, a track performed by this famous rapper. 50 Cent. Yeah. 50 Cent, there you go, buddy. Good round for everybody. Very impressive. Matt Mitchell, I think you found the wheelhouse for the majority of our contestants. Part three, <laughs> here's the prompt. Imagine traveling back in time to 2005. You find your 2005 self and you tell him the single craziest thing about the world of sports in 2021, aka the distant future. What is your message from the future? So at that point in my life, the Islanders, I'd never seen the Islanders win a, a playoff series. 
and my friend and I, Eric, who, who's gone through all the, the same lows as, as I have, um, we were actually having this conversation last night on the Coliseum uh, concrete right outside the Coliseum. And, and we both said that if we did exactly this exercise, our 15-year-old selves would just beat the ever-living shit out of our, our now selves because they just wouldn't believe it and they'd be mad that they had to wait this long for, for happiness anyways. So that would probably be it, right? Like, I'd be like, you, you just eliminated the Boston Bruins and a series that nobody thought you had a chance in. You did in six games and you made a villain out of, out of a head coach. So I think that would probably be it. Yeah, it's very weird that that is the question because I literally had this exercise last night with a friend while we were weeping. <laughs> if you hadn't have added while we were weeping, I'd probably think that feels small. Jordan, you're next. Well, I think it's fitting that this is my answer. I would say fast forward to 2021 and you'd be able to uh, fly bet in an arena. I think I would say, you know, sports gambling is, uh, is, is not just uh, a part of the fabric of society now. It's, it's celebrated and we have the Actions Network as a big reason why. That is an amazing answer. I, I didn't even consider that as being something that I would say to someone from 2005, I like it. I like it a lot. Simon, what do you got? Jordan, you didn't know the right people, man. Back in the beepers day, you could still bet any sports arena you wanted to back in the day. Um, wow. I must have been. <laughs> yeah, you were a good kid probably. I feel like it'd be so weird going back and just talking to yourself and being like, Tom Brady, when he's in his 40s, is going to leave the AFC and go to the NFC and have just as many Super Bowl rings as every other quarterback in the last 15 years in the NFC. Like, the man literally in his 40s, is still the best quarterback. So I feel like if someone came to you in 05 and told you that, you just couldn't wrap your head around it because we've just never seen anything like it before. So I, I do think it would be definitely be the Tom Brady effect. I got to say, you're totally right. I was going to go with Jordan because it is amazing to think, you know, 16 years after 2005, where betting was such a third rail for so many people. Yeah. Um, you're you're able to say, oh yeah, now you can go bet in arenas. <laughs> but but Tom Brady defying age and winning Super Bowls into the decade of the 20s after winning his first early in the 2000s is ridiculous. That is something that is that is unparalleled. In yeah, nobody would have believed to that point either about Drew Brees because remember he had the yeah shoulder surgery. Yeah, nobody would believe that he's. You would have said in 05, Drew Brees is going to become one of the best five quarterbacks of all time. I don't think uh, the odds are very good. <laughs> all right. We are going into part four. Jordan kind of played himself out of a point in the final question for part three. Uh, right now, the current score, Leboff, you have five. Jordan, you have five. Simon, you have four. Good comeback in the latter half of the game. Here uh, is the topic for the grand finale. The breakout star of 2005 first. Before I read the question, you all need to indicate how much you would like to risk. Close your eyes, hold up your fingers with your wager amount. All right, here we go. In 2005, a new recording artist burst onto the scene and has since gone on to a decorated and successful career, including seven Grammy wins. She's also enjoyed considerable involvement in the world of sports. She dated Tony Romo, married an Ottawa Senators hockey player, and she performs the opening theme for the highest rated primetime show 10 years running. Please name this recording artist. Waiting all day for Sunday night. 
All right, Jordan, please tell me how much you risked and the answer. I risked five, Carrie Underwood. Damn. All right, Jordan's got 10. Leave off. Tell me how much you risked. Give me your answer. Uh, I risked five and I said Carrie Underwood. Oh my goodness. We are guaranteed a playoff. Simon, tell me how much you risked in your answer. I risked it all, but I, I had less points than them. I said Carrie Underwood as well. Oh my God. Now I'm you're out. Eight. You're out. But listen, this was our most competitive game yet. Everybody played strong. So now we have to go to our playoff. Sudden death. Sudden death. Are you guys ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, here we go. Home court for the Philadelphia 76ers is the Wells Fargo Center. Home ice for the New Jersey Devils is the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. According to Google Maps, if you were to travel on foot from one to the other, how many hours would it take you? Jordan. On foot? On foot. From the Prudential Center in Newark to the Wells Fargo Center in Philly. I guess uh, 18 hours. 18 hours. Mike Lee, I was trying to, I was seeing if I could do the math in my head, knowing, having, having done the drive from Jersey to Philly many, many times, thinking how many miles, how long is a mile, blah, 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 blah. Leboff, what do you got? I'd say tw- 22 hours. 22 yeah, I hours. And I, think, I think it's going to be like 26. Matt Mitchell. The correct answer is 28 hours. I knew it. Shit. Man. As soon as I said that, I was like, that's not enough. Also, you got in front of a juggernaut. And what I mean by that is nobody is in a confident player. Nobody's stopping us. Nobody's stopping us. There's nothing that can stop Leboff right now. The, I, this is when you start betting on the Islanders yeah. to win the Stanley Cup. Because he is on such a roll, I cannot, cannot think that things are not going to go his way. That's what I believe. I agree. For Jordan, you played outstanding. Simon, you did pretty well, too. Congratulations to Mike Leboff for his winning ways, fighting through a strained voice after single-handedly carrying the New York Islanders to a win. He's a, he's a gladiator, game. right, uh, Simon? Yeah. Right. 100% a gladiator. Before we sign off, here's a word from our fearless leader, Action Network CEO, Patrick King. You pompous, stuck-up, snot-nosed, twerp, scumbag, fuck-faced asshole. All right. This has been the favorites from the Volume Podcast Network. Many thanks to our guests from ESPN, from the Pull Up Pod, Jordan Schultz, Mike Leboff, our champion, and Simon Hunter, my BFF. As a reminder, the volume is now on YouTube. We've got new clips from all the network's shows. Subscribe to the volume's YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash volume. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And download and listen on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on The Favorites. Love you.